I found in the section we're going to be covering today that Paul, by example, say by example, by example, addresses this problem of knowing. He wants to show us, by example, how we can know what a Christ follower should look like. He tells us how to effectively live as Christians in today's society. But maybe you need a modern day example. Let me give you one. I believe that Sam Walton was just such a man. On July the 2nd, 1962, Sam Walton opened his very first Walmart discount store in Rogers, Arkansas. And at the time of his death, he employed 380,000 employees and had 1,735 Walmart stores, 212 Sam's discount stores, and 13 superstores. At the time of Sam's death, annual sales at all those stores was $50 billion. And when Sam Walton passed away, his estimated net worth was $8.6 billion, with a B, dollars. Now, friends, I don't believe for a second that that is what made Sam Walton great. I believe that it was maybe his humility. See, Sam Walton was a humble man, and his humility caused him to despise corporate fat cats. He could and would handle a cash register at any Walmart store or stock shelves at any Sam's Club. He drove an old, rusty, dented pickup, not to prove a point, but because it still had plenty of good miles in it. He told his staff on more than one occasion, if American management is going to say to its workers, we're all in this together, then they're going to have to stop this foolishness of paying themselves three and four million dollar bonuses every year and traveling around in limousines and corporate jets thinking and acting like they're so much better than everybody else. As appealing as Sam Walton's humility was, I don't think it was his humble attitude that made him a great man. You see, Sam Walton was the classic example of a modern servant leader. Did you hear that? A modern servant leader. Sam and his wife Helen were very active. They were active members of their church at Bentonville, Arkansas, where Sam served as an elder in the church, wanting everybody within that body of Christ to grow and be equipped to live the, live the Christian life. Sam also was a Sunday school teacher. He wanted to teach the Word of God to everyone in his class. But Sam also led the high school ministry. Now, high school ministry will cause you to pull your hair out. Amen? Ask Tim Shelton. Amen? I don't know if he shaved it that way or if he pulled it out. But uh, I do know that he and Stacy and Wendy and Tiffany uh, truly are to be praised uh, for leading our high schoolers and what a blessing they are. So friends, in my opinion, it wasn't Sam's success 
It wasn't Sam's money. It wasn't Sam's fame. It wasn't even Sam's humble attitude that made him so great. It was his service to the Lord and his service to other people. See, Sam took it serious when the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now last week, we began examining six traits of genuine Christian character that the Apostle Paul revealed in his letter to the Roman church. And today, we're going to look at four more. Four more traits that show us in no uncertain terms what every Christian should look like. So let's read about what every Christian should be. I pray this morning that you hear God speak to your heart. If you would, turn to page 999 in the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have yours with you. Page 999 in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to begin again in verse 8. Paul writes to these believers, saying, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, and that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Again this morning, I pray that we will place ourselves alongside this great man of God and let's see how we measure up. Let's first review what we talked about last week. First of all, every Christian should be thankful. Would you agree with that? Every Christian should be thankful. There is a, a fact that God wants his children to be thankful people. Amen? Because greater thankfulness in life yields greater satisfaction in life. That's why God wants you to be thankful. He wants you to experience more satisfaction in your life, and that comes by being more thankful. We also learned that every Christian should be, in com every Christian should be committed. Committed. There is no greater form of worship to God than pure, heartfelt service. Worship simply is love in action. And when you're serving God, you're showing Him that you love Him. Serving God shows that we love God. So every Christian should be committed to that. Every Christian should be prayerful. We know that Paul's primary ministry was preaching, but he had a secondary ministry, a secondary ministry of prayer. And I would submit to you this morning that God wants every one of us as believers in Christ to be involved in prayer that touches the life of others. Not just me, me, me. Not just my need, my family, my business. Not just me, but other people. Let us be praying that way. 
Every Christian should also be surrendered. Can you imagine for one second what it would be like if we had a church filled with people who were totally sold out to the will of God ahead of their own desires? Holy smoke. Y'all ain't no telling what we could do in the name of the Lord. Every Christian should be submitted, surrendered, but every Christian should also be usable. See, there's a great need uh, for people in the church today whose main goal is just to be usable. Hey, I ain't got nothing. I don't know nothing. I just want to be usable to the Lord. Friend, can you honestly say that your life is a vessel that God can use? I pray that you are usable. So now we move forward to some new descriptions. New descriptions that what every Christian should be. First of all, every Christian should be humble. Look there in verse 12. Paul says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now one thing that I noticed there with Paul is it's not all about him. It's not all about what he's going to do and what he wants to do and how he's going to do it. It's not all about him. Yes, he wants to share with them, but guess what? He also wants to be encouraged by them. The mutual faith of both he and them. You know, it's a really a shame in today's time when people get to the place where they think they've arrived. You know anybody like that? Uh-huh. They've gotten to the place where they think they arrived. They can't be helped by anybody. They can't be helped by anybody who's not as mature as they are. They can't be helped by anybody that's uh, not as educated as they are. They can't be helped by anybody that's not as experienced as they are. What a shame for people to think that they've arrived. Because guess what? We are all under construction. Amen? Every one of us are all under construction. And every one of us here today have plenty of growing to do. Would you agree with that? Amen. Paul even articulated this when he wrote to the Philippian believers. Listen to what he wrote to them. He said, Now that I have, now, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to already have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew he wasn't perfect. Paul knew he hadn't made it. Paul knew he hadn't arrived. Paul knew that he wasn't holier than thou. And Paul knew that he couldn't call himself an expert. He was on the same pilgrimage that we are all on. We are all under construction, all moving forward. But Paul was very aware very aware that he needed all those around him in order to accomplish God's work. If God's work was going to get done, it wasn't just Paul that had to do what he was called to do. It was what everyone was called to do. We are all in this together. So to everyone who thinks that they're standing alone, you're not. Did you hear that? To all those who think they're standing on their own, you are not. Amen? There is no such thing as an isolated Christian. We all need one another. And I just want to confess to you today that I need each and every one of you in order for me to do what God has called me to do. I need your prayers. Friends, I need your support. I need your encouragement so that I can serve God the way he's called me to serve God. 
There's one thing I realized this week, and that is this. When you're totally dependent on other people for the welfare of you and your family, you have a brand new appreciation for people. When you realize, hard as you may try, you can't do it all, you have a new appreciation for those who volunteer their time, who give of themselves so unselfishly in order to serve God together as a body of Christ. Friends, I just want to tell you that I appreciate you, that I need you, and that I thank God for you. God help us all to remember that we need one another desperately. Desperately. No one person can do it all. We all need each other. And in so doing, we learn that every Christian should be humble. But I also believe that every Christian should be fruitful. Look there in verse 13. Now Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but it was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you. Among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Man, Paul had been used all over the world to bear fruit for the glory of God. Now he's saying, I want to come to Rome because I think there's some fruit there too. I want to come there too to bring some, some godliness and I want to glorify God there too. He's not trying to build himself up. All he's saying is, there's some things going on in Rome that will glorify God. And I want to point those things out to you. You know, when the Bible speaks of spiritual fruit, it does so usually in one of three categories. And I want to share those with you real quickly because uh, we need to know how we are to make spiritual fruit. The first way that you can create spiritual fruit or the Spirit creates spiritual fruit through you is by your attitude. You see, there are certain attitudes that every Christian should have. Paul discussed nine of those attitudes when he wrote to the Galatian believers and here's what he said he said the fruit say fruit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control the spirit of God has indwelled believers and when that occurs he reveals certain unmistakable attitudes are these unmistakable attitudes part of your life? If you're a believer, a spirit-filled believer, they should be. That is one of the spiritual fruit that you have is in these attitudes. There's a second category, and that is by activity. What you do, how you do it. When a believer lives for the Lord, guess what? There will be activity. When you're living for Jesus, there will be activity in your life, and that activity will produce fruit for the glory of God. That activity produces fruit in one of three ways. How about holy living? In Romans chapter 6, the Bible says, now having been set free from sin and having become servants of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So holy living is certainly one of the activities that produces fruit. Praise. In Hebrews, the Bible says, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Praise is one of the activities that glorifies God. Giving. In Philippians, the Bible says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and then again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. 
So giving can be one of those activities that produces fruit in your life. Now, in addition to attitudes, in addition to activity, there's a third category of spiritual fruit, and that is addition. When we talk about addition, we're talking, of course, to the addition of souls into the kingdom of heaven. That is certainly spiritual fruit. In Acts 16, the Bible says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That's the fruit that Paul was looking for at this church in Rome. I wonder, did Paul ever see that fruit when he went there? You better bet your bippy he did. In fact, years later, he wrote to the Philippian believers from Rome, and he was praising God for fruit because their fruit had even occurred among the members of Caesar's household. Even among the member of the emperor's household, people were coming to Jesus. So there was fruit. Can I tell you this morning that your spiritual fruit glorifies God like nothing else can? We need to be attentive to uh, activity, to addition, and to our attitude when we're living in the world. Whether it's your attitudes, whether it's your activity, or whether it's your addition, you need to know that nothing glorifies God more than that. Nothing. So how does a Christian then go about bearing fruit? Well, we talked about this in our life group this morning. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That's cool. I just got to abide in Christ, bearing much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. In verse 8, Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified. If there's anything you're living for, it ought to be to glorify God. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. Friends, every Christian should be humble. But every Christian should also be fruitful. But can I tell you that every Christian should also be obligated? Obligated. Look in verse 14 with me. In verse 14, Paul writes to these Christians, I am a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as Paul's writing this letter to them, he begins to feel this deep debt toward those who need Jesus. He began to feel this deep debt toward those who need to hear the good news of Christ. See, this debt that Paul felt is seen in everything he did, in every area of his ministry. This is a man who's driven, he's compelled, he is duty-bound to reach every lost person that he knows for the cause of Christ. We ought to be obligated like Paul. Duty-bound, compelled, driven. Because see, that's our indebtedness too. You and I are indebted as well. I mean, we're not in debt to God. We know that. Salvation was free, given absolutely free to us. We are, however, indebted to those who are dying without Christ around us. We are indebted to those who are perishing around us. We are in debt to those people. I mean, we hold in our hands the answer to the problem of sin. We hold in our hands the remedy for the sin cancer that so many people have. Are we sharing it with people? Are we indebted to them? I mean, every believer in this room this morning needs to remember that we owe a debt. A debt to every person who is unsaved and doesn't know the Lord. Mark 16, 15, 
Jesus said, go to all the world. Go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I wondered, all right, I want to do that. How then do I discharge this debt? How do I fulfill this indebtedness? There's only one way. You need to tell everybody you know about Jesus. That's the only way is for me to tell everybody I know about the Savior. That's the only way we can discharge our indebtedness. So certainly, by example, Paul says Christians should be humble. Christians should be fruitful. Certainly Christians should be obligated. But can I also tell you that Christians should also be eager? Look in verse 15. Paul says, so much as it is in me. See, you're only responsible for yourself, amen? As far as your eagerness. As so much as it is in me, I am ready. Ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. See, as Paul's wrapping up this section, he tells the Romans, he's ready. Man, he is ready. It's like me on a Sunday morning. Man, he is ready to preach the gospel. He's ready to preach to God's people. He's ready to go to Rome, and he's ready to preach. Now, that word ready doesn't just mean he's prepared. It does mean that, but it means more. That word ready also means eager. He's not only prepared to preach the gospel, he's eager to preach the gospel. Paul's saying, I can't wait to preach the gospel to you in Rome. In other words, Paul's excited. He's excited about what God's called him to do and how God's called him to do it. I mean, Paul is just an enthusiastic Christian. Are you? Are you an enthusiastic Christian? Are you a contagious Christian? Do people want what you got? Or do they say, I don't want none of that she got. Amen. Let us be excited, enthusiastic, contagious, eager. I mean, every Christian should be eager about serving God. We should all be eager about serving the Lord. But why is it that we so often lack excitement when it comes to serving the Lord? I mean, we really get into those things of the flesh like hunting, boom, Fishing, amen, racing, football, shopping. Uh huh. Why are we not lined up like people are lined up at the cash register? Willing to dedicate that time. Why are we not lining up to worship God, to serve God, and to share the good news of God? Why, friend? Could it be that we don't believe? Could it be that we don't believe that it pleases God when we serve Him? Could, we, could it be that we don't believe that it glorifies God when we serve Him? Lord, help our unbelief. I mean, where are those who get excited when it comes close to church time? Where are those who would rather miss out on anything than miss out on something God's doing? I mean, friends, we need believers, Christ followers, who are excited about all the things of God. All the things of God. Oh, that God would help us to truly understand the gravity of what goes on here. Help us to understand that. 
Friend, are you eager to do the Lord's will? Are you eager to serve the Lord with all your heart? If not, can I tell you you need to make some changes today? I mean, what if every believer at Bethel Baptist Church felt the way that little Anna felt one Saturday morning? What are you pitching such a fit about? Huh? Where are you wanting to go? Church. Where? Church. To church? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, we go to church tomorrow. y'all on Saturday morning? Man, I wish that we all felt that way about being a part of what God is doing. No matter whether it's here or at home or in the woods or on the lake, that, that God can do anything, anywhere. But you know what? He does things here. He does things right here in our midst when we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now there's something else you need to know about that word eager. That word eager also implies a distinct sense of urgency urgency. See, Paul knows that there's only a limited time to carry out the Lord's work in his life. He's not going to live forever. Paul also knows that those who need Jesus, they're running out of time. They're running out of time. We need to realize that same urgency. We need to realize that one day soon, sooner for some than others, one day soon, your life's going to end. We need to realize that one day, it's going to be too late to serve the Lord here. One day, it's going to be too late to bear the fruit for God's glory here. So what's the answer? Friends, we've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. This is the only time we have. We got to do it now. Do you feel that sense of urgency today? I think it's safe to say that Paul represents what every Christian should be. So once again, when we hear the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, guess what time it is? It's time for examination. Are there areas in your Christian life that need to change? Are there areas in your life where, if you're honest, man, you just need to be more thankful for what the Word of God Are you as committed to Jesus as Jesus was committed to you?
Maybe it's being a little more humble, a little more opposite. 